something to say. everybody, welcome to the Thursday show. My name's Charlie, I'm a sci-fi fantasy writer, and today we're actually going to be talking about me! Yeah, I, I've been doing a Friday update on this cha- on, on this show, and um, Friday is dedicated to one of my new favorite superheroes, if not my new absolute favorite superhero, Dreadnought. And so we are going to be talking about the first book in the Nemesis series by April Daniels tomorrow, that is Dreadnought. And we're already reading through Sovereign, which is book two in the series. I was going to put a break between them, but oh my goodness, I I loved Dreadnought a lot more than I thought I would. Our full review is coming out tomorrow. It's going to be a mammoth episode, an hour and 20 minutes of Brian and I discussing that book with all kinds of spoilers. If you haven't read it yet, your time is running out if you're averse to spoilers. So hurry up, read the book. It's so good. It is so good. It is so good. So, hi. Today, I wanted to talk about, you know, my fiction and where I'm at. And I'm still working on Stone of Heaven. I've actually started some of the pre-writing already for um, Sanctify My Sins, which is a book I'm planning on writing in November, come hell or high water, because I I wanted to keep a schedule this year, and I didn't. But, eh, depression's a thing. Um, and one of the things that's really been haunting me when dealing with writing Stone of Heaven is this is one of the few books that I've done. I've, I've kind of only really done this a couple times before. And so, like, you could kind of say that Sadia in Shine Like Thunder is an, is an author insert character because when I wrote that book, I was very sick. And um, a lot of the physical symptoms that Sadia describes in that book were actually symptoms that I was going through at the time. So while Sadia's physical torments were inspired by (laughs) my own health problems at that point, Sadia really isn't kind of an author insert character. He, He doesn't have much to do with me as far as, you know, psychologically or anything. And some of the aspects that of Nathan from the chain is inspired by me um, a little bit more in my own personal life, but Nathan's not like me that much. And while I, I always feel like it's a dangerous thing for an author to do an author insert character, um, I wanted to, okay, this is very hard for me to talk about. And so I'm going to probably be hemming and hawing a little bit this episode. But since I realized that I am transgender and trying to figure out what that means, I wanted to actually write a transgender character as a meth- as a way to explore gender and try to get a feel for what it is that I am going for. Um, 
And okay, so I have been struggling over whether or not I am some kind of whether where I am on the spectrum. I identify primarily as she, her. Those are my preferred pronouns, though I, I'm not too upset when people don't use them. And that's where, well, I do have social dysphoria and I do have body dysphoria. I am not sure whether or not I am a transgender woman or if I am just genderqueer. And that, I don't know. <laughs> and I've, I've really, I've been racking my brains about this ever since I let myself realize what I am. And I originally identified myself as gender fluid because I do go back and forth between ma masculine and feminine. I spend most of my time in a feminine mode, in a feminine mindset, and I actually feel most myself when I am presenting and expressing myself as feminine. Um, but there's a lot to unravel there. There, there. there really is. And so I wanted to do an insert character. Not so much that Quinn is going to be me, like 100% me with my backstory, and, you know, I wish that I had the superpowers you know, the magical abilities and all that, that that's not what I was wanting to do. I was wanting to explore the concept of being transgender through a character because in writing, writing helps me figure out a lot. And it's not like a psychological coping mechanism. It's just writing is how I think about the world and writing is how I contemplate how everything works. This is actually something you can see very clearly in Liquid Sky, which was my first published book. Liquid Sky was written right after 9-11 and is kind of, well, not like a meditation on terrorism and all of that. It, it is, you can see, like I didn't realize when I wrote it, but you can kind of see looking back at it, that it's my mind trying to grapple with the world that we now live in. Um, and I, I kind of realized very quickly that, you know, the world, the worlds that I build, the worlds that I inhabit and the worlds that I live in have a connection to each other. And one of the ways I kind of meditate about things that are happening in the world is through my writing, whether conscious or unconscious, you know, after we ended up, moving back here to America's heartland, I wrote Shine Like Thunder, which is a book about somebody being stranded on an island filled with demons. Yeah. There's no subtext there. <laughs> um, and again, this wasn't like, I'm going to set out to write a book that kind of looks at what it means to be in a place that you really don't want to be when you really feel that you should be somewhere else. That wasn't my intent writing the book. I had an idea for a story. I wrote the story. It was in editing that I kind of sat back and went, huh, yeah, I can see how my real life has kind of inspired aspects of this. And that's kind of been how my 
stories have developed over the years is that, you know, whatever is going on, whatever I'm thinking about tends to leak into the fiction that I'm working on, which is why there was such a long break between the chain and, um, labyrinth of souls because i was in a very deep depression and there really wasn't a lot going on in my mind other than maybe today is the day you die yeah it was a bad place it was a very bad place um and thus no story no world i I have never actively decided to insert a character into a story for the sake of exploring things and quinn was a character that was going to exist anyway um quinn is a character that came to me fairly early in the process and almost appeared in um labyrinth of souls but if you've read that book you know that it's a very intimate story that really just follows rye and joda we meet some of the other characters towards the beginning and the end of the story but we we spend most of our time with just rye and joda in that in that one and I felt like throwing Quinn in at the very end, like I did the guys, um, it, it wouldn't have worked. And so Quinn doesn't show up at the end of that book, neither does some of the others. Like Temujin Dari was a character that I had originally intended to be in that book when I intended it to be much more than it was. In fact, in the early outlines for that story, I had intended to follow several other groups through the labyrinth as well and i chose not to because i thought it distracted from the story between rye and joda which really became a very powerful story to me so you know quinn was a character that was conceived at the very beginning of all of this and i already knew that quinn was going to be transgender though i didn't spend as much time developing the character because since I had made this decision fairly early in the process that Quinn was not going to appear in this book, I kind of set the character off to the side with a lot of the other characters to develop when I started work on the sequel, on the second book in the series. And so here I am starting work on the next book in the series, and mm, Quinn has been a problem. Because initially I thought of presenting Quinn as truly non-binary. And in some of the early chapters that are already online, you'll see that I use um, neutral first, you know, neutral third-person pronouns for the character. And it never quite felt right, and it didn't feel like something I wanted to do. And I spent a lot of time actually researching different third-person pronouns, and I kept debating whether or not Quinn was a they or a she or any of the others that I could possibly use. And I, I kind of got to a place where I realized that a lot of my struggle in writing a transgender character was that I hadn't really decided for myself, you know, it's easy to put off, you know, your self-work when you're a workaholic and you're always working on something else. And so Quinn is not necessarily like a full insert character, but in a lot of ways, 
Quinn is me exploring what it is to be transgender. And of course, some of the issues that that gets brought out in this world that I'm writing in, which is kind of Victorian, Elizabethan Victorian in technology level. So there are things that, you know, aren't going to be available or maybe are via magical means. And how is that actually going to play out in the story? How, how do I write a character in this setting that is transgender? So as you can imagine, you know, this has been something that's been delaying the writing of the story, which I actually hoped to have had written by now. Um, just because I didn't, I didn't want to be insulting to anyone who was transgender because that's not my intent and that's never my intent. And I felt like I was insulting myself in that I wasn't fully exploring what this meant. Like I didn't want a coming out scene in the book because I don't like writing coming out scenes and I'm not really a big fan about reading them though. Dreadnought, we'll, we'll talk about that tomorrow. does a very good job with it. Um, since I'm going through the issues that I am going through, I thought it might be interesting to explore those as they affect a fictitious character. That way I can get some distance from them and present them in maybe a way that a cisgendered audience, a, a non-trans audience would find interesting, especially in light of this being in this kind of epic fantasy setting, which I think brings up a lot of questions. So, I, I think, you know, I, I have finally decided that Quinn is going to be a she, her, even though she was assigned male at birth. And I want, because she was always going to have been assigned male at birth, but I had debated quite a bit over how to tell her story. And I am probably going to still offend some transgender people out there because all of our stories, while they have a lot of similarities, they also have a lot of differences as well, because I want to really kind of pull on some of my own thoughts and kind of play with my own thoughts about gender and use her to explore my own understandings of gender, especially as it plays out with some of the other characters in the story from Khan, who presents in the story as very ultra masculine, cis male to someone like Percy who, well, while I wouldn't say is a femme male, is not compared compared to the barbarian like Khan, um, is not um, a masculine archetype. And I, I, I've so one of the things that I will be playing with in the story, though it probably won't actually affect the story story itself, is this interplay of gender and how that works. It's just been a real tricky issue for me to figure out how to talk about these things. And, you know, once I, once I made the executive decision that, you know, Quinn is going to embody a lot more of my own issues because, you know, write what you know, I don't know that Quinn and I will come to the same decision in the end. And I'm not going to force that on the character. Quinn will do whatever Quinn does in the writing because that's how I like to write. I, like to give my characters guidelines and then kind of explore the story and see where it heads and see where it goes. 
So Quinn will go wherever Quinn wants to go. But, yeah. It, it doesn't make me very nervous. And I know I shouldn't care about it, but the, the idea that I would offend a community that I am a part of is something that I've never really thought about before. I mean, I've had to deal with issues like this with uh, Shine Like Thunder because when Shine came out, I had a woman in town who shall remain nameless, though she is fairly prominent, actually stop me in town, in public. I was coming out of a restaurant and she literally stopped me on the street to berate me for being a race traitor because most of the main characters in that book were not white. Yeah, honest to God, that happened. Just out of the blue. And <clears throat> to my face, not like not on Twitter, not on Facebook, to my face in public while holding a copy of my book in her hands and kind of shaking it at me so I could see what I did wrong. Uh, that, that I hadn't actually considered that. Like, Sadia was what Sadia was, and Jalal was what Jalal was, and the characters were who the characters were. I, I hadn't actually actively thought about whether or not there should be white people in the book, because I didn't think about that. I just didn't. And I'm not like, oh, pat myself on the back about that. But I have to say... After being stopped on the street and called a race traitor for not having enough white people in my book, and especially for not having a white protagonist, it did make me think about race. It didn't change the way I thought about it. Characters were whoever the characters needed to be or wanted to be, but it did make me start thinking about it. And the very notion that by exploring your own queer identity through fiction, yeah, that's going to offend a certain class of people, shall we say, a certain ilk that do exist out there. And I've gotten some of that from people on the chain. Like why, you know, my personal favorite comment that ever got sent to me is why do they all have to be the, uh, try to keep these episodes clean. So I don't want to say the word F-A-G-G-O-T's. Yeah, um, they do because I decided that I wanted to write a book where everybody was gloriously gay because I had never done that and I had kind of gotten fed up with always being kind of foisted onto the LGBT panels and no longer allowed to really be on any of the non-LGBT panels. So um, yeah, I decided my, my reaction was, okay, if you're going to call me the gay fantasy writer, then I'm going to show you how gay I could be. And I wrote a book that every character is LGBT with the exception of Nathan's parents that we meet very briefly at the beginning of the book. Um, but that's really the only exception there. Um, his family, his, his parents and his sister, um, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's I, I didn't, when I wrote that book, think about offending other gay people because, you know, I used to do drag and so a lot of the characters that I was writing about were based very heavily on other people that I knew that do drag, did drag either back when I did it much more regularly or I was, you know, have a lot of friends who do drag and 
they inspired a lot of the characters. In fact, some of the first artwork that I did for the book was actually posed work by a friend of mine who was doing drag under the name of Kitty Couture at the time. And um, she actually posed for some of the artwork um, for some of the early pictures that were used to promote that book in that setting when I started working. So I wasn't really thinking about whether or not I would offend some people. I, I actively actually to try to expand it to a straight audience, tried to actually put in some scenes that I thought were reminiscent of things from RuPaul's Drag Race, which I knew had a significant straight audience so that there would be kind of an in, like seeing them all kind of gossiping at the mirrors while they're getting ready for work in the book. Those scenes existed because I thought I felt that they were reminiscent of what you see on RuPaul's Drag Race, which would give a cis heterosexual audience kind of an in to the book in a way that they might not have otherwise. And yeah, that's how I wrote that book. I, I wasn't considering what it would be like to offend, you know, my own community. You know, I am LGBT and proud. I have been for a very long time. I've been married for 20 years, for goodness sakes. But when it comes to trans issues, because I hadn't, you know, while there is one actually trans character in that book, um, that was more, it's kind of hinted at in the chain. And when I get to go back, when I do go back and write more in that series, you know, it will become a lot more obvious um, as time goes on. But yeah, I, I didn't think about what it would be like to offend my own community. And I, I'm guilty of this too. So please see here I am now trying not to get people to take offense at what I'm saying. But, you know, the trans community can be a little sensitive when it comes to things. And I get that. We are not treated well in the mainstream media where the serial killer or the drug addict or the prostitute in almost everything that we appear in. And our, the very fact that we are transgender is usually seen as the reason for our criminality in these books. I'm looking at you, Tom Harris, which is why I don't like Silence of the Lambs. And if you want to talk to me about anything, don't bring that up unless you want an earful of how horrible Th Thomas Harris is. But <laughs> moving on, you know, we, we can be a little overly, you know, sensitive and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that myself. And so I find myself thinking about how I'm representing not just this character who is kind of an author insert that's kind of going to be my thoughts on gender and how I'm coping with transition. And that's not Quinn's only storyline. Like Quinn has an actual story in the story. That's going to be kind of just one of the things she's dealing with in the course of Stone of Heaven. But, you know, I don't want to say or do anything that would be offensive to my own community because there are so few good characters, good trans characters in stories. I wanted, you know, this, I, I want Quinn to be one of them. I want Quinn to be a good trans character. And I don't mean angelic and I don't mean perfect. And I don't, 
you know, mean any of those things. What I do mean is, you know, I don't want her to be a stereotype and I don't want her to be somebody that will trigger the dysphoria that other people feel or be a character that various subgroups that like to attack the trans community can use against us. And so I feel so much more weight on this one character in the story that has a very large ensemble cast. There are five viewpoint characters in this story. I don't know how long the book itself is going to be because I don't know how many viewpoint chapters each character is going to get. Because, again, that's going to be dictated by the story and not superimposed by me. But, uh, you know, she's part of an ensemble cast, but I don't want to do any of the mistakes because I know what the mistakes are. I know what the mistakes look like. I see them in other characters. I see them in our portrayals on a lot of other media. And I'm such a baby when it comes to this because, you know, it was only a couple years ago I realized that I was at least gender queer, which is stupid because of experiences I had in my youth. Like it should have been the most obvious thing. And that's kind of where I'm wanting to end this is like just telling my story. I mean, I'm 41 years old. I'm going to be 42. I am struggling with my gender in a way that should have been blindingly obvious from a very young age. I remember the, you know, when I remember the traumas of puberty and how much I was upset at how my body was changing and the ways my body was changing and how it was no longer acceptable for me to hang out amongst the girls, even though that's where I wanted to be and that I had to hang out amongst the boys because that didn't feel right. And that these boy things were being foisted on me. Like I should be doing sports. I didn't want to be doing sports. I wanted to be doing my hair and my nails like the other girls were. And I remember when I was a child, when I was a child, I remember being like eight, nine years old, sitting up at night in bed, begging to the universe, just God, the devil, anyone who will hear me when I wake up, please let me wake up a little girl. Please let me wake up a little girl. And I remember doing that when I was a kid. And not just when I was a kid. I have done that several times in my life. Because, like, innately I know who that I'm not masculine. I'm not a man. I'm not a boy. And I've known that so much of my life. But when I came out of the closet, the first thing my mother said to me when I came out to my family, the first thing my mother said to me very accusatorily was, so do you want to be a woman? So are you a woman now? And in this knee-jerk reaction, because it was a very contentious conversation that we had, I said, no. And that one word shaped 20 years of my life. Because I kind of shoved all of those feelings into a box and I tried to lock them away because being gay was a step too far. Being trans would, you know, never let me be back with my family. 
And so I shoved all of those feelings into a box. And sometimes at night, I would get that box out and I would cry myself to sleep about it. But I wouldn't let myself acknowledge it for 20 years. And I say this for anybody out there who's like wondering, explore, just explore, find out, find out when you're young and don't go through the traumas that I have and that I have subjected myself to. Like this was self-imposed. This wasn't like society made me feel this way or anything like that. Like I made a declaration that I'm not trans, so I can't be trans. And it was only when I started hearing people talking about being non-binary or genderqueer that I let myself even start questioning this idea because it let me not have to open that box. I didn't have to admit what was in that box, but I could say, yeah, I'm ultra femme. And I identify as femme. So, you know, I'm a femme dude, or maybe I'm non-binary, or maybe I'm fluid. I, I could start using those words because it kept me from opening that box. And with Quinn, I've started opening that box and having to unpack not only this childhood that I would pray to the universe to wake up a little girl, but I would, I used to cross dress all the time. I used to wear women's clothing when I went out and not even like in just a drag way. I used to wear skirts and blouses because they felt right. Like I didn't even really do like a lot of makeup or something, you know, like I wasn't doing drag then. And then of course I started doing drag after that because I really liked it. I felt empowered when I dressed up like a woman and when I acted like a woman and when I was allowed to act like a woman and when people would call me her. And this is where this self-sabotage hits so hard. I had locked everything up in that box that people would stop me and call me ma'am because I have long hair. I do have kind of feminine features because I'm overweight. So I have breasts and I have hips and I try to keep myself clean shaven and people would come up to me not knowing me, not hearing me talk, because I do have a deep voice, and would say, excuse me, ma'am? And I would get livid, not at them for calling me ma'am, but because they had unwittingly pointed at the box that I had locked away and said, no, you can't, you can't ignore that box. This stranger saw you as a woman, even though you're just wearing shorts and a t-shirt you don't have any makeup on. You don't have your nails done. You just have long hair, t-shirt, and shorts. And even they can see that you're a female. That you're not the gender you were assigned at birth. And it would make me angry because now I had to deal with the box. I had to deal with the box. I don't want to deal with the box. Put the box away. Put the box away. So yeah, if it seems like I'm going through a lot of mental issues at the moment I am because for 20 years I've tried to push everything about my gender into a little box and not have to deal with it and I've opened up that box lately and yeah a lot of that's being poured into Quinn because that's how I do things constructively I create a character I create a world I create a story it's how I do so yeah, that's where I'm at in the book. I'm searching for my identity. 
I'm searching for a story. And hopefully it'll be a good one. Hopefully it'll be one that y'all like. So yeah, that's me. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Especially to an episode like this that is very personal and hard to talk about. Thank you so much. Um, if you enjoy this show, please share it with people that you think will get something out of it, especially an episode like this. If you know somebody who is struggling with their gender, do share this episode particularly with them because I don't want them to do what I did. No one else needs to build that box. Don't build that box. It's bad. If you can, rate us and review us in whatever podcatcher you listen to the show on. Um, if you want to support the show, down in the um, show notes, wherever those are, in the podcatcher that you're listening to, you will see a um, support us on Anchor. You can give at the $1, $5, and $10 level. And anything that you do to help support me is great greatly appreciated (laughs) it helps me do everything that i do um my podcasts um are part you know well my books are my income and i'm trying to stabilize that by doing patreon and this anchor thing so if you can give that would be great if you can't then please share help me build audience for what i'm doing Um, Speaking of Patreon, if you want to support everything that I'm doing, including my fiction, you can find me at Patreon. And uh, all the links to this and all of my social media accounts are over at ProjectShadow.com. Last thing before I go, if you have any questions or comments, um, please keep them civil. You can go to Anchor.fm, download the app, and there's a call-in feature where you can leave one-minute comments. And if they're a good one, I'll use them on the show. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for your kindness and support over the years. It really means more to me than any of you will ever know. Thank you so, so much. Um, Until next time, when we will be talking about Dreadnought with Brian, have the fun.